Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Yes, we are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for announcements and discussion. Follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at chipperish.com. And if you are a Patreon supporter, we have a Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where we hang out and chat and give support. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, I'm going to ask you to become one today because they're really cool and it helps us out a lot <laughs> and really helps us keep the podcast going. But in the chat room, you can go over 140 characters and you can talk to everybody else who's rumbling in there. So join us at patreon.com slash chipperish. Yes, and thank you to everyone for the support that you've been giving the show and for the participation. The engagement on the show has been just incredible. Um, your tweets, your comments, the discussions have been amazing, and your reviews also mean so much to us, and it makes such a big difference. So if you enjoy Big Strong Yes, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is absolutely, hands down, the best way to help us promote the show. Yes, absolutely, and thanks to everyone who has done that so far. We really appreciate it. So the reading we'll be discussing today is Big Magic. Oh my god. I'm so excited. <laughs> Big Magic Part 1 Courage mm -hmm. and next week's reading is Big Magic Part 2 Enchantment. Go to chippers.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when. Yes, because Big Magic has part one, part two, and all that stuff, but we don't always fall neatly along the parts, depending on how much reading there is to do. So definitely check out the schedule to find out what we're reading next. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of schedules and formats and syllabi yes. type things, <laughs> we, we tend to open each episode with a report of our homework from the last, right. the last episode. But we had a two-week break this time. Yeah, I know. It felt like summer vacation. Yeah. So <laughs> homework is a flighty thing of the past. But <laughs> how, did, how did you do? Do you have any, any vague memories of homework? I don't. That episode was so long ago. And I'm like, what, did, we, did we have homework at that point? You know, we were just so excited about doing the finale of Rising Strong. So I can't remember if I had homework, what it was. And I know that I could probably just go back and like listen to it. But you know, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. So I do know that I have wanted to be writing more. And I mean, I have been doing a ton of writing. It's just not on the novel that is like seriously three quarters of the way done and sitting on my hard drive. Um, but the bottom line about creativity as we go through this book is that creativity is what happens anytime you create something that didn't exist before. So creativity happens in so many different ways. And it's not just the big artistic, the novel or the painting or the song that you're writing. There's so many different ways to engage with creativity. And I think it is a really valuable part of being human. So a lot of people may think that the creativity, the big magic may not apply to them, but I think that it applies 
applies to everybody. So, um, so basically, like, even though I'm looking at a novel and, you know, and Kelly's looking at her sort of memoir novel thing, I'm not sure exactly which way you're going to go, if you're going to fictionalize that or not. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but that's what we're doing. But I mean, if you are gardening, if you're painting furniture, if you're painting walls in your house, if you're doing anything, I mean, that is all part of creativity and I think needs to be honored as such. So, so what about you? Did you do uh, homework? Did you have anything? So I I did some more writing um, on this story thing that I don't know what it's going to be. But (laughs) I was laughing at myself trying to take some of the concepts from Rising Strong and bring them into Big Magic. And one of those is the idea of integration. And so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to integrate the quote unquote poor white trash of myself (laughs) with the quote unquote distinguished PhD part of myself. Um, (laughs) And so for fun, my working title of this of this book is. Y'all ain't going to believe this shit. A phenomenological autoethnography of religion, education, and heartbreak in the deep south. <laughs> so, oh my God. If nothing else is cracking me up. <laughs> I love that. I think that's fantastic. So um, we'll see how it goes. But then I, I have been sort of experimenting with self-care. And part of that is trying to define it. Mm-hmm. And our big strong yes listeners, as usual, have stepped in and saved the day. And so Kara, who's at Barris Smidgen on Twitter, said, self-care is choosing what boosts your power over that which depletes it. And she gave me permission to share that here today. And I think that is probably my working definition right now. I think that's a really good definition. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, like defining that, parsing that out, boosts your power. Right. Over that which depletes it. Yeah. Right. So I like it. And so I did have this one lovely night. I went to the riverfront Mm -hmm. under the full moon and sat there at night and watched the water. And that was lovely. I don't know if that qualifies as self-care. I think it does. I'm putting it in the box. I Um, think it does. (laughs) And, you know, remembering things that feel like self-care, like getting a pedicure, Mm -hmm. reading poetry, or, you know, doing some of that stuff. But I I can't say that I have a full-fledged definition of it in my head. I'm still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I find self-care to be such, it seems like such a simple concept and yet putting it into action for me has always been kind of a struggle. I mean, I, I've been doing it, I think to a certain degree recently, um, but it feels weird. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It feels really weird. So I have a lot more to learn about this topic, but. (laughs) Oh, as do we all. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we've also had two weeks to reflect since our awesome, amazing Rising Strong finale. Yeah. So what are your reflections for the past two weeks? God, you know, I've been kind of uh, rumbling with all of this stuff. Like now that we were doing week by week, this Rising Strong thing, and I was focusing on whatever was in the book. And so since we've left the book, I've been kind of free floating out there just thinking about stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've realized is that I'm just, I'm bored. Like there's this thing about me. I love variety. I was never happier than when I was living in Alaska and half the year, the sun came up only between like 1030 and 430, you know, and that was it. You went to work in pitch dark. You came home in pitch dark. And then of course, in the summer, the sun dips down below the horizon, but it doesn't go down all the way. So you have pretty much sunlight like all the time. And a lot of people, you know, in environments like that, you know, as you go further north, end up with this like seasonal affective disorder. But I 
loved it. It was the variety. It was the, the degree of change, you know, that mm-hmm. happened there. Um, and so there were a lot of things that I really loved about living in Alaska. And that was definitely one of them. Um, and I, I love variety. I love change. I love that first moment every season. And I don't know if everybody else experiences it, but you can like smell the new season on the air. Yeah. And yeah. that gives me just such a sense of joy. You know, I love that. Um, but mostly like my boredom is, is internal. Like I'm, I'm bored with my pain. I'm bored with my tragedy. I'm bored with sadness and grief. I have had it up to here with sadness and grief, which I have felt every day, you know, for like the past nine months. And I'm just, I'm tired of it. And then this past week I had a flu, you know, I've been cranky and ranty as anybody who's been watching either still pretty or sex and whiskey, my two uh, video blogs following uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Outlander. Um, And, uh, and I've just been ranty. Like I just keep going on these, on these little rants and I think they're funny. You know, one of the things about me is that when I'm angry, I'm funny, you know, so I, I like that. But I mean, my God, I'm just, I'm so tired of it and trying to get into a different emotional state for any period of time has been like a real struggle for me. Um, and the thing is that I don't believe in this idea of like, you just, you reach for happiness and you have a constant state of happiness. Like I don't want a constant state of anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not to me that like, I'm like, I have to be happy, you know, and that kind of thing. Like I like being happy, you know, and that's great, but I don't think that that's, we have a wealth of emotions and, and feeling them all is not necessarily necessarily a problem for me. I would just like to feel a variety of them, you know? Um, And I don't want to get settled in one state of being, be it happiness or sadness or grief or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So lately it's been pretty much a constant state of grief, you know? And I haven't really been popping out of that the way that I've wanted to. Um, And I'm tired of it. And so what I'm really hoping is that this move into creativity, because I do get really excited when we talk about this stuff. Um, this is one of the things that I love. I love when I get to talk to my students about creativity. I love when I get to talk about it on my podcasts. Um, there's something about creativity that I feel like speaks so well to the core of human experience and, and what we are as, as people, like it just, I think that humans are naturally creative. Even people who don't think that they're creative, you are creative in different mm-hmm. ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that moving into this space now will kind of bounce me out of that, of that state of being. Cause I've, I've had enough, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm tired of it now. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a couple of things going on there. Uh, one, mm-hmm. I think you you may be getting to a point in the grief cycle that your body's telling you, okay, you 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 can move on now, mm-hmm. or at least in part, you know that it, yeah. it may be time to to move past this. Um, but the other thing is, there is actually a, what we call a novelty center of the brain, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it releases dopamine when you come across change and things that you know, what we call like the new bright and shiny, you know, right. kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does actually have an emotional stimuli to it and it rewards itself, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like, like dopamine. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's like a motivation center of the brain mm-hmm. and people's brains are wired differently. And for you, because that change is motivating, it taps mm-hmm. into your creativity mm-hmm. that learning how to do that on an emotional level where before you've done it in kind of an environmental or on a, mm-hmm. a work level is going to yeah. be really interesting for you. 
Yeah. Because I think I would be happy with the Alaska stuff, too. Like, I hate mm-hmm. daily routine. Yeah. I hate stuff to be the same all the time. Like, mm-hmm. I just, it drives me crazy. So, extremes like that, or when you don't know what's going to happen the next day, or yeah. something just looks different. Like, the first day of snowfall makes me so I happy. Know, you know? I know. I love that, too. So, yeah, it's interesting. But I think your brain may be doing a little healing. Oh, maybe. It doesn't feel like healing. I know. <laughs> I know. But but maybe it is. Maybe. I don't so. know. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. So how about you? What are your reflections? Well, um, I kind of fell in love with this video of <laughs> Brene Brown interviewing Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the link is in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to me. And just watching the friendship between the two of them and kind of the the nurturing that went on between them. And they both talked about the value and importance of being nurtured. And I mm-hmm. just loved hearing them talk about that. Um, and I loved Elizabeth Gilbert has a tattoo that says stubborn gladness. Oh, and yeah. I've been on the tattoo search now for a long time because I don't know. <laughs> Me too. Like, I don't know exactly what I want. But I can never I pick anything that I, feels uh, like know. I'm going to want it on my body forever. Exactly. Yeah. It has to be perfect. I mean, it yeah. has to be right, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't found it yet, but I really loved hers and I thought that was really cool. Oh, good. Um, yeah. I like that too. Yeah. And then during a, a philosophical discussion about the universe with a friend, <laughs> um, I was called a romantic. Ah, <laughs> and, and at first I like completely balked at this and resisted the hell out of the idea. Um, but then my friend defined romance as the love of awe and wonder. Oh. And so I conceded. Because yeah. I think awe and wonder are the best parts of being alive. And this is what makes me love Doctor Who so much. And, like, why I want to spend my life on the TARDIS. You, know, you could be a great all those... companion. Oh, my God. You would be God. a great companion. Right? <laughs> yes. And I'm not going to be one of them that falls in love with a dude. I'm going to be like, just show me the planets. Exactly. Flirt with whoever else you want. <laughs> like, I'm here for the stars. Like, not the... <laughs> Right? <laughs> Like all those worlds and all that enchantment, like just to me, that is amazing. So I'm rumbling with the idea of being a romantic when that feels like the furthest possible thing from my reality. No, I see it. I see it. Yeah. So it was just kind of funny that I I initially took it as a bad word. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that's a fighting word. What? How dare you call me a romantic? It was pretty funny. (laughs) But, um, Speaking of awe and wonder, we have the most amazing video shared in the Patreon Discord chat room. Oh, yeah. That was the Rising Strong lyrics, and one of our amazing listeners is a singer, and she performed the song and made us a video. And it was amazing. We have your video link in the show notes, and we're going to play that for everybody, and I'm going to play a little clip of it. Okay, folks, here are the Rising Strong finale lyrics. Performed by the talented, beautiful, and wonderful Angeli Curia. First things first, yes, I fell down in the arena, but I'm strong enough to change the way that things have been. Ooh, the way that things have been. Second thing, second, I'm gonna reckon with these feelings. Yes, I'm rising strong. I'm the master of my speedo. Ooh, the master of my speedo. 
bootstraps. Curiosity's got to me setting boundaries because I know about guilt versus shame and I can rumble through the pain. Revolutions getting started. I am brave and brokenhearted. Dr. Kelly Jones and Lonnie Diane Rich. Looking forward to big magic. She is so beautiful and so talented, and I, I just can't thank her enough for for oh, making this amazing. for us. And she was so beautiful in that video. And that's exactly the kind of thing like you can see the the look on her face while yeah. she's singing. Yes, and that is that is the thing. We're going to be talking a lot about that in this week's uh, discussion because that that looking for that kind of joy, you know, and there is that joy in that creativity. She was amazing. Yeah, she really was. So speaking of the reading. Um, <laughs> this was pretty cool. I had some fun with this. Now, how did, how was your response? Cause I think you had kind of a, a reluctant response to this. I did. And, and not in a way that I mean to, because mm -hmm. y'all, my love for this book is mm -hmm. unbound. Like I love this book, nothing but huge love for Elizabeth Gilbert, but I got a little stuck in this reading. So I just wanted to kind of warn everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, y'all are going to hear me sort of struggle and just sit on the sidelines and be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's kind of feel like that's all I got right now. Um, and it's a cognitive block. And I know it is because uh -huh. I'm pushing up against an idea that's so big that I can't really nudge it yet. And, okay. you know, I'm still grappling with the concepts and I haven't found a way to process them. So this is mostly going to be me struggling to unpack and understand <laughs> some of the ideas in the chapter. Uh -huh. But, you know, sharing our struggle is part of Big Strong Yes. So, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to be in the student seat and I'm glad to have you as my teacher and to have you on this journey because I think hearing your perspective on this is going to help me a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff in here that I responded to, um, really well. And I, I love the discussion of creativity. So I think it'll be fun. So what was your first response? Like when you first started reading, what was the thing that you, uh, you first like connected with or resisted? Um, I don't think I resisted any of it. Like I love mm -hmm. all of this. I just want to bathe in it. Like I want all of this to just wash over me. My problem is I don't know what to do with it. Like uh -huh. <laughs> I feel like it's this wonderful love story between Elizabeth Gilbert and her creativity or maybe, you know, most artists and their creativity. And I love hearing about it and I love watching it, but it doesn't feel like it's mine. Mm -hmm. Like that's the best way I know how to explain it. Um, yeah. You know, I'm watching like the ultimate love story on the big screen as a longtime single person. Like that's, <laughs> that's what this feels like. <laughs> and <laughs> but um, but I loved it from the from the very beginning. You know, she opened with this idea of hidden treasure and mm -hmm. and she asked what is creativity and and she defined it as the relationship between a human being and the mysteries of inspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you not love that? <laughs> but it is a little I mean, it is. Uh... There's something in the way that Elizabeth Gilbert looks at the world that is almost through this sort of um, this sort of filter, you know, this very mm -hmm. soft light 
you know, fuzzy filter. And yeah. I think that sometimes that can be hard to connect with on a lot of levels. Um, I connect very strongly with her work. Um, I have I have always enjoyed Elizabeth Gilbert, um, mm-hmm. and and I found this to be really interesting. One of the things that I loved was like right off the start when she's talking about Jack Gilbert, yeah. Um, and uh, and she said on page three he became a poet the way other men became monks. And I kind of love that. And it brings me back to that idea that we were talking about in the Rising Strong finale um, about creativity as sacred service, right. that there is there's a sacred element to creativity. And I think that in the same way that, you know, we are born storytellers, that our, our brains are wired to tell story, I think that our brains are wired to create and the very fact that we are surrounded by you know, but the most mundane things in your world are a, an act of human creation. You know, everything mm-hmm. that is not a cave and a fire, you know, and a, <laughs> and a recently killed, you know, game animal, you know, roasting, like everything in your life that is not that, which is most everything for most of us, um, is a result of human creativity. And I think that that is something that we take for granted so easily because it's so easy not to see it because you're so used to it. You're used right. to the cars and the houses and the neighborhoods and the music and the art and everything. But everything is, is a, you know, is a result of human creativity that, that this is who we are at the very core of our nature, no matter what it is that we're creating, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I found that to be really kind of a neat way to start. Yeah, it is. And and I was not familiar with Jack Gilbert. Mm-hmm. And so I went and looked up his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you that have not read the book yet, they're not related. So yeah. it's just really funny that they, you know, he, they have the same last name. But mm-hmm. so I went and read some of his poetry and it is amazing. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I mean, like, wow. <laughs> it's really <laughs> great um and i was also on on page three with you and when she was describing him elizabeth gilbert said i loved him dearly from a respectable distance yes and i think that's exactly how i feel about her so right. <laughs> like falling in love with her ideas and her voice and her magical perspective and i'm so glad she's in the world doing this but it just doesn't feel like it applies to me as much right. so and i yeah. want it to i wish it did it just doesn't feel like it does yet so, yeah, I think that, you know, what was the thing we were doing with Brene Brown stuff, reframing it, right? Yes. You know, you, mm-hmm. you got to take these ideas and, and figure them out and then reframe them in a way that speaks to you because you absolutely are, you know, a creative person. Obviously, I see this in you constantly. You are constantly creating, you know, <laughs> and, um, and so I think that you have it. I think that maybe it's just the way she approaches it is not the angle from which you need to approach it. Yeah, maybe and so. so you got to kind of reframe that and figure out. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to reframe it. I don't just, know either. I'm just so, sitting here yeah. basking in the soft light filter. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I, you know, I know you can bask in the filter and I'm going to sit on the sideline and be like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I did really like on page four when I had been kind of thinking about this internal magnet of like, mm-hmm. what All am right. I drawn to and why? She had this really cool question in there and she asked, what calls to your heart and brings you to life? And that was the best description of that magnet that I had found. Mm -hmm. And then on page six, she asked, what would it be like to live in an uninterrupted state of Marvel? And I'm like, awe and wonder, baby. That's what my heart wants. (laughs) And, and, you know, but I have no idea of like, 
I just, I can't imagine what that would be like without, you know, running away from home and joining some creative commune that has, sure. you know, maybe some mind-altering substances that just lets you stay in that state all the time. <laughs> I have no idea how you do that in a regular daily life. <laughs> right. To be constantly in a state of marvel. And again, to be constantly in a state of anything, I think, is um, is not what we want. Right. You know, I mean, part of creativity is this expression of all of the levels of human experience, you know, is being able to to take what exists that is so big, like what it feels like to be a human, you know, and to to create something out of it that replicates even just a small window of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I think that that's kind of, you know, of reaching for this constant state of ultimate creativity and this like beautiful wonder and marvel all the time. I think that the, the wonder and the marvel and the awe get their value from their rarity and from how short lived those moments are. But when you have them, they're powerful, you know? So the, the uninterrupted state of Marvel to me, I feel is a a bit too much, unless you're talking about the Marvel cinematic universe, we can have that discussion. (laughs) But, um, but the, yeah, an uninterrupted state of anything, I think, would make me crazy after a while. And I don't think it's just because of, of my particular need for variety. I think that you need to have, um, you need to have different experiences that reflect off of each other. You know, like you can't have light without dark, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, that you need to have, I think, all sides of this in order for it to come together. So I think possibly, you know, going back to that integration that you were talking about before, that that there is part of this within you. I, I firmly, firmly believe that, that you have all of this stuff within you already. Um, but I think that that maybe you're expecting it to be something different from what you already have and maybe you're not recognizing what you already have as that thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. When you said that, I just thought maybe this is about integrating the Marvel and the mundane. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm just way out of balance on the mundane. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, and absolutely. If you have been working too much within the mundane, if everything has been mundane, if you are in a constant state of mundanity, then reaching for that marvel is absolutely what you want to do. But you don't want to go too far to the other end either. I mean, I think like everything, and this comes down to everything, everything I have ever like tried to do. In the end, the lesson I learned is that it's all about finding that balance, finding that space in the middle, you know, where you can experience all of it. That gives me something to, to really think about. Yeah, no, I think it's kind of cool. One of the things that I really liked, um, on page seven, she quotes Jack Gilbert talking to a student who had quoted this back to her. So I'm sure it's, you know, rephrased in this magical language. But he says, do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to bring forth this work? The treasures that are hidden inside you are hoping you will say yes. And that is one of the things I I love this idea and and Elizabeth Gilbert does this quite often. Anybody who's seen her TED Talk on genius, and if you haven't, uh, link is in the show notes. Um, her TED oh, Talk so on good. genius, yeah. where she anthropomorphizes the uh, the idea of creativity. She anthropomorphizes the genius that it is not something that we have, but it is something that visits us. You know that it is something separate from us that will come down and land on our shoulder, give us a bit of inspiration, um, but it's it's not who we are. You know, um, that, right. that creativity, the idea that, that those, those treasures that are hidden inside of you 
are actively waiting for you to discover them, that they are anxiously waiting for you to see them there. They have been with you this whole time. And all you have to do is look for them and they will be thrilled that they have a response to you speaking to them. And, and creativity is a living force. Um, is is a metaphor that I respond to really, really well. So what what did you think about that? I really like the idea of creativity mm-hmm. as a living force. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that. And the, and the Jedi in me wants to just totally dive in. But I got a little stuck with the idea of, of courage there and the way that they used it because I kind of wrote in the margins, I was being a little sarcastic. I was like, <laughs> what's being brave got to do with it? Like... <laughs> Oh, man. So the courage to share your work, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. But is courage a prerequisite to creativity itself? And if so, why and how does that work? Because I, yeah. I, to me, I was like, wait, I got to get brave first and then get creative. Like, damn, I can get, like, can no, I just get brave getting... when it's time to share something? Sure. <laughs> so, if you're getting creative, if you're getting creative without needing to overcome some fear, as a block to that creativity, then you're already ahead of the game. Then you don't got to worry about it. You know, I mean, and I think that a lot of like when we um, get into the fears, which we're going to get into in just a little bit, she went through this whole big long thing of like all the fears yeah. that people have about their creativity, um, which I think are really, really interesting. But it is mm-hmm. it is getting over that so that you can create. And um, one of the things that I found happening a lot throughout this chapter and that I find happening with creativity in general is that it is so tied into outcome oriented thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where we fall down on this. I think that that's where we end up getting into trouble. Um, Creativity and the fruits of creativity tend to be strapped in this hellish three-legged race, you know, to the outcome. It's like, I will write this book and become a bestseller and be rich and famous. I will make this meal and it will be the best meal anyone has ever had. I will tend to this garden, have fat, wonderful vegetables that I will totally eat because I totally eat vegetables. I totally do. (laughs) Um, I will write this song and become a rock star. Um, And I think about all of that and it's, it's that outcome. It's that we, we tie the creativity to the outcome and that we have to have the outcome in order for the creativity to justify itself. And I think that that's where we end up having a problem. I mean, cause like, what if you just stopped in the middle, right? I will write this book. I will make this meal. I will mm-hmm. tend to this garden. I will write this song. Like it feels unfinished. When you say I will do this thing without giving a thought, without giving time, without giving your energy over to what then that thing will do for you to make it worth it you know, to make it worth the experience, worth the time, worth the energy, worth sometimes the money that you got to put into things. Um, I think one of the things that the first thing that we need to do with creativity is look at creativity as its own reward, that simply by engaging in this, the most human of all endeavors, this, this need to, to create something, look at the materials that you have and make something different with it. Um, I think that that in itself is what we're striving for. But we feel, I think, or maybe, maybe this is just me. Maybe I have always felt this way, you know, but I I do see that outcome oriented thinking a lot with, with creative people. Um, But I mean, you feel like you have to justify it, you know, like it takes so much of your time. It takes so much of your energy and it's not it's not a job that gives you a paycheck and it gives you, you know, a right. roof over your head or whatever. Like it may never pay back. It may actually cost you, 
you know, um, to create this thing. But I think that that is such a valuable thing to, to stop strapping it to an outcome and that if it doesn't achieve something for you, that if it doesn't go out and do this thing, then it doesn't have value and it's not worth the effort to try. And see, I love this because I never thought about this idea in the context of creativity before, Mm -hmm. but I've spent years studying it in the context of lifelong learning. Sure. And so like I can, everything you're saying, I can completely relate to the pursuit of education and, and people get so caught up on, well, what is the degree that that's going to lead to? Or what is the job that I'm going to get if I do this degree? Or what's in it for me if I go learn about X instead of just being open to the, you know, the, the magic that happens when you learn something just for the sake of learning, like to tap into that part of your brain, to bring Mm -hmm. out that appreciation, to expand your understanding. Um, You know, and so I, I preach (laughs) all the time about Mm -hmm. learning simply for the sake of learning and it doesn't have to come to anything you're just expanding your understanding of the world and that in of itself is a gift and I had never really thought about that in the same context of creativity before so hearing you talk about it like that helps me a lot good good no you can absolutely apply that because you think about it that we're so and I think this may be very much like a western culture thing I'm not sure Mm -hmm. it's the same way like throughout the world Um, but in western culture It's all, what is it going to get you? You know, like I have students who come into my class and they're simply, they come in and they're like, I want the grade. What do I have to do to get an A? And I'm like, it's not about the grade. You're going to come in here and you're going to do work and you're going to learn meaningful things that are going to be of value to you for the rest of your life in ways that you cannot even begin to anticipate. There are things that you're going to get out of this experience that will benefit you And you don't even know what that's going to be yet until you have the experience for the experience's sake and creativity for creativity's sake, education for education's sake. Hell yes. You know, like that is, that is huge. Um, But we are so tied into outcome. We are so tied into justifying everything that we do. You know, and I think that comes back to like what we were talking about in Rising Strong. It comes back to worth. It comes back to value. If you are going to enjoy this experience, then it has value. You have worth. Just the fact that you want to learn something, that you want to experience something, that you want to, you know, make something with wood or with clay or whatever, you know, create something. You doing it having the experience, even if the thing, even if you build the crappiest chair that falls apart the second anybody sits <laughs> in it, you know, um, that experience is valuable and you'll get something from it. And, and, you know, and that in of itself, I think is where a lot of like, when I was looking through her, her list of fears, you know, and I had an answer for each of them. My whole book is like scribbled on because I'm like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope to everything, you know. Uh, when we have that list of fears, I mean, half of them were outcome oriented. Right. You know, I mean, they just and, and that was what I wrote next to outcome oriented. The outcome of creativity is not your business. It is not your problem. It is not your concern. 
the act of creativity is what you want to focus on. And anything that comes from that, great. If you end up writing a bestseller and you end up getting totally rich from it, that's fantastic. Good for you. Nobody is saying that success is something to be frowned upon, that we're better than that, you know, that we need to be poor and starving artists in order to have, you know, like real legitimacy. That's bullshit. But whether you are poor and starving or whether you are, you know, like hugely successful out there in the world and making tons of money off your creativity, it doesn't matter. It's still not about the outcome. The outcome is not your business. Well, and I think you're right about worthiness. And I hadn't mm-hmm. thought about that either until you drew this connection for me. Because one thing that I hear from Elizabeth Gilbert is her genuine belief that every single one of us is a creative being. Yeah. And therefore, we all are worthy of doing creative work. Mm-hmm. Um, and on page eight, she said, surely something wonderful is sheltered within you. And I, first of all, fell in love with the woman. And then I circled it and wrote, Mandy Kay, pretty please. <laughs> like, surely something wonderful is sheltered within you. I mean, my God, like what a wonderful definition of worthiness. I just didn't yeah. think about it before you, you said it like that. And, and she talked about capacities and aspirations and longings and talents and these are the things I want to discover about myself I don't know that I know exactly where to begin um but on page nine she said I love watching people swing for the bleachers oh yeah and I'm like me too like (laughs) I love helping people discover talents and start new ventures and I love encouraging people to dream big yeah um and I think I can even help encourage other people's creative work But I just get stuck when it comes to me. Right. Um, And then she said, you know, on page nine, a creative life is driven more strongly by curiosity than fear. And I went, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fear has now come up like 37 times. Yes. So I wrote, I am a very curious person and a very open-minded one. I don't fear creativity. I just don't feel like I'm in touch with it. Mm -hmm. So, um On page 11, she described creative experience as revolution, which I thought was really interesting, bringing us back to Rising Strong. Right. Curiosity and revolution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about a friend of hers who had learned to appreciate the value of her own joy Mm -hmm. and had gone back to ice skating as an adult that she had loved as a child. And so, like, thinking about this balance of exhilaration and fear and knowing what brings you joy and what makes you scared and... I just was like, okay, I don't, I don't quite know what to do with this. Like, I'm not scared of being creative. That's not where my fear lives. Mm -hmm. But then when I read through her list, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I do have some of these. (laughs) But you had a much just eloquent, fantastic rebuttal for all of the fears. So how do you want them? Okay. I'll I'll go through a lot of them. A lot of them were outcome oriented and I just didn't bother with those. But I mean, a lot of these I looked through and I was like, okay, you know, um, you're afraid you have no talent to which my response is talent is overrated. It is so overrated. I am not sure it is even necessary. Yes. Talent will make the thing that you're doing easier to do. Absolutely. It will. Um, when you're not 
naturally good at something, you form a harmony with that thing and it's easier to dance with it. And I will absolutely grant you that. But talent is not, talent is about the harmony and the ease with which you can approach that particular brand of creativity. It is not about the outcome. I have known lots of talented people who were lazy as fuck. And the Mm -hmm. thing is, is that hard work and dedication will get you further than just, you know, sheer born talent every day of the week. And people with amazing amounts of talent who will not work get nowhere nowhere. So it is about, do you love this thing? Do you want to do this thing? You know, is this something that matters to you? And that would be, would give you something back. That's the only question that you have to answer. Talent doesn't matter. Joy is a more important indicator of what you should be doing than natural talent. Um, So that's the first one. Uh, You're afraid you'll be rejected or criticized or ridiculed or misunderstood or worst of all, ignored. All of those things are going to happen. All of those things are going to happen. They happen (laughs) to everybody. Um, There's no way to avoid it. So stop being afraid of it and just embrace it. Like that's everybody's experience. You are absolutely not alone and it doesn't matter. Um, You're afraid that somebody else already did it better. You're afraid everybody else already did it better. Um, And the thing is, is that the most valuable thing that you bring to your creativity is you. And no one can be you better than you. So while, yes, maybe somebody else has written like an amazing novel that's similar to the novel that you want to write, or they did a painting that's similar to the painting that you want to do, or they built a chair, you know, that's similar (laughs) to the thing you want to do, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody else did that better. You have never done it. You have never done it. And the best thing that's going to be you is comes from you. And that's what your creativity has to offer. So that's one of the big things whenever I give like, you know, one of my, my big speeches to my students and they, they, any of my students out there listening will know exactly what I'm talking about when I go off on one of my things about it's all about the work (laughs) and nobody could be you better than you. And originality doesn't matter. You know, um, all of that stuff speaks to the best thing that you have to, to give your creativity is you. So that's nonsense. Um, what's another one? You're afraid you won't be taken seriously. You won't get over it. Um, (laughs) and the thing is, as soon as somebody does remember the, um, what was it? Not good enough. Who do you think you are? Right. That spectrum. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the thing. Uh, you're not going to be taken seriously. And then you're going to feel like, you know, nobody's, nobody's appreciating your genius. And then when people do take you seriously, you're going to have imposter syndrome. You're going to be like, well, I don't deserve this. This is way too much for me. You know, it's all of that. Um, but seriousness is not the goal of creativity. Joy is the goal of creativity. And that joy comes in the moment of creation. So you don't have to worry about it. That's outcome. You don't need people to take you seriously. And if they do, you're going to feel like you don't deserve it anyway. So it doesn't matter. Um, Here's another one. You're afraid that your dreams are embarrassing. Of course, all the best ones are. So that means you're on the right track. That's great. Um, (laughs) You're afraid that you don't have the right kind of discipline. Well, take whatever discipline you have and apply that. You know, work with what you've got. Work with with what you have. You have any discipline? Do you have no discipline at all? Then, you know, work with what you've got. Um, you know, there are times when you like the Pomodoro, um, um, the technique of, uh, of writing for 20 minutes or doing whatever it is. I always go back to writing cause that's my particular form of creativity. But you know, like if you set a timer for 20 minutes and you do your thing for 20 minutes and then you can take 10 minutes off, you know, mm-hmm. like that's all the discipline you need. 
That is all the discipline you need. You have to be able to set a timer and you have to be able to turn off the internet. If you can do those two things, you've got all the discipline you need and you can work with that. And that's totally fine. Um, you're afraid you've neglected your creativity for so long that you can never get it back. Okay. This one. All right. So I had two of these fears that stuck with me. This is yes. one of mine. It's a big one okay. because it feels true and it sort of feels permanent. So I'm just, this is, this right. is definitely for me. I feel then like my I'm, answer goes right out to you, Kelly. I'm okay. going to tell you, Dr. <laughs> Kelly Jones, right? That your creativity is in love with you. Your creativity <laughs> has got a stupid, messy crush on you. It wants to give you a big, sloppy, wet kiss. And no matter what you do, it will always come back if you call it. Your creativity loves you the way your dog loves you. There is no way that you can you can piss your creativity off. Your creativity is not going to leave you. You know, you may get disconnected from your creativity for a while. But all you have to do if you want it back is call it and it will come and it will be so happy to see you. I love that idea. Well, there you go. Big sloppy wet kiss. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Big sloppy um, wet kiss. <laughs> right. Um, here's another one. You're afraid you are too old or too young. Um, again, it's that time on the spectrum, right? You're never in the perfect place. You're always too old or too young, right? Um, but the thing is, is that are you alive? Because that's all that's required. <laughs> Are you breathing? Then that's all that's required. That's all you need. Um, and, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, I go through all this stuff and I'm like, nope, 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 you know. And it's not that I don't have fears. I mean, I do. I have a lot of these exact fears. You know, I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. I believe that I have to be better than everybody else in order to earn my space. And that includes my creativity, that everything I do has to be absolutely perfect, especially because I've spent most of my life telling people how to write. And if they go and read one of my books and they're like, well, this is crap, then, you know, it feels like I don't have that legitimacy, <laughs> you know. But my crush on creativity is as strong as creativity's crush on me. And when we dance, my fear is charmed like a snake, you know, and I think that that's how I handle it. Like I run straight recklessly into the arms of creativity and try to just find what I can there and, and make it the best that I can, but let it be what it is. Because again, it's, it's me, you know, mm -hmm. it's me in, in all of my flaws, in all of my glory, everything that is great, everything that is not so great. Um, this combination of me is the fingerprint on my creativity and I'm the only one who can put that fingerprint down. I'm the only one who can make it in that particular way. And if what I end up creating ends up having value to anybody, then that's a great thing, but that's not, that's outcome oriented. And that is not my business. I create it. I release it into the universe and then it is what it is. And one of the things that I really liked on page 18, she said, argue for your limitations and you get to keep them, you know? And I thought, yeah. okay, you I know, I, that's, it's a really good way to think about it. I loved her whole discussion on how fearful she was as a child. And then one day she was just bored with it. You know, yeah. she's like, why am I telling myself that I'm smaller and lesser than I am? And I love that moment of realization and recognition of herself. And I thought that that was just beautiful. It was beautiful. And and I love the idea of you dancing with your creativity. Like, yeah. that's just fantastic. <laughs> so, but I did have one of her fears on the list really stuck with me. Yeah, and what was that? 
It is, um, she said, you're afraid of unleashing your innermost demons and you really don't want to encounter your innermost demons. And oh, I was that's like, legit. Check, check. That is legit so shit. I Let said, me tell you. Yeah. Right? So it, what if these hidden treasures in me are not lovely, but dark and ugly? So Elizabeth Gilbert's memoir was gorgeous and inspirational. Mine, not so much. <laughs> so like... That one, I think, might be the actual big one for me. No, that's a big one. And it's it's scary because when you go into your creativity, you do meet yourself at your like most basic essence. And that can be really frightening, especially for those of us who really don't like who we are at the core of our essence, yeah. which, you know, maybe a lot of us. I know it's me. Um, <laughs> but the thing with that is when you go into those dark places that is also an act of beauty. It's an act of service. When you talk about your dark places and your dark experiences, right? Nothing can, nothing can, shame can't escape the power of me too. What was it? Yeah. <laughs> you said something, you said it beautifully. I just screwed it up. <laughs> uh, go back to the Rise and Strong finale. It's in there. Um, shame cannot survive the power of me too. That's what it is. Right. So, what you do when you face your own darkness, when you take the courage to face that darkness within and to, to really look it in the eye and then write about it and then share that thing is you are giving all of the other people who share that darkness. And let me just tell you something, baby, you are unique. You are a beautiful, super special snowflake, but everybody, <laughs> everybody has some darkness within them. And when you share yours, when you say, Hey, me too. You give them power. You empower the other people who have that. So while you're looking at, you know, her memoir and thinking that your memoir must be as full of light and, you know, and, and lovely filtered, you know, beautiful uh, uh, imagery the way that hers is, that's not true. That's what her fingerprint looks like. Your fingerprint looks like something different, but your fingerprint, you are the only one who can provide that for everybody else and for the people who will be engaging with your creativity. So that fingerprint that is yours, everything about it is beautiful, even the darkness, even the bad stuff, even the things that, that we're ashamed to look at, let alone acknowledge, you know, those are beautiful too in their own way. And sharing that beauty is an incredible act of courage. I got to say, out of all the lists of the fears, that was the only one where I was like, nope, that's legit. <laughs> that's completely, that okay. is completely well, legit. Well, then I feel better that I picked a legit fear. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really loved the idea. Um, one of the things I loved about this was she didn't just say, oh, here's fear. Like, she actually right. gave us kind of a tool for, for dealing with it. Right. Um, and you know me and my toolbox, so I freaking love this. Mm -hmm. But she has this metaphor of a road trip. Oh, yeah. And oh, my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Uh -huh. And so she actually, like, she believes fear and her creativity are, like, conjoined twins. Mm -hmm. Um and so she talks to fear when she's ready to go out on a creative venture. And she's like, okay, fear, me and creativity are going on a road trip and you can come, but you don't get to drive. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is freaking brilliant. So <laughs> now we have the, the big strong yes cruise ship. And now I would also like the big strong yes road trip. Oh yeah. Because like <laughs> I could take like a little packet of little inner demons and sort of tuck them in the back seat and, you know, make sure that they all have, you know, like headphones and some juice 
juice sure. and, and you know some crackers and be like okay now y'all sit here and chill out and you can come but you don't get to you don't get to be in charge right now right. and then you know that might work <laughs> but i really loved the metaphor for that it was great yeah no i thought that was really really good i mean she has a wonderful way of of she does this with a lot of things she did this in eat pray love as well with uh with depression and and something else i can't remember um but uh but she anthropomorphizes these these things these elements within herself and i think that one of the nice things about doing that is that it allows you to kind of like pick that element up and set it aside outside of yourself you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes that makes it easier to look at and to understand. So you, so you take these parts of yourself and you give them character, you give them persona, you know, you breathe life into them and get to know them as little entities unto themselves and separating them from you. I mean, the nice thing, she does that with genius, right? Like in the Ted talk. And the right. nice thing about that is that it separates out that genius from you. So you don't, you can create something beautiful and wonderful and yet not feel like it's, it's you, it's about you, you know, which is always kind of the thing. Like, you know, we've had this discussion where like, I, you know, I've had, I mean, it hasn't happened a lot, but I mean, I've had the experience where like, I've gone out to a writer's conference somewhere and somebody meets me and they start crying, you know, they're like, Oh my God, I read your and, um, and at first, like the first time that happened to me, it wigged me out so hard, you know, it's like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't matter that much. Like I just, I wrote a book, like, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is that the, the thing in that book, that book is separate from me. It's something that I was given the opportunity to create. And we'll be talking about this a lot more later in the, in the book, this idea of, of creation, finding you, you know, and asking you to dance. And then if you do, then great. And if you don't, then screw you, it'll find somebody else, you know, that, that this book happened to find me and I happened to write it, but if I hadn't, somebody else would have written it and you'd be crying all over her right now, you know, um, that it's, it's not about me, that what is about me is, is chasing that, that moment of joy and creativity and chasing that, that feeling dancing with my creativity. That's about me. Then the outcome of it is about the outcome and that is what it is. And it doesn't need to feed my ego, you know, like it doesn't need to, uh, and I wish I was as good with negative stuff because negative stuff is all about me. Like when somebody's like your book sucks, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know I'm terrible. I'm terrible. You know? <laughs> like, but if somebody says something nice to me, I'm like, oh, that's the work. See, the work is separate. She's a blonde. Um, you know, and I go through this whole thing, right? So I, I anthropomorphize the work and I keep that separate as long as it's positive stuff because I can't have that, right? The negative stuff absorbs right through my skin into my soul, man. And I'm like, I know I'm a fraud and I suck, you know? Um, and that, that honestly, like I, I know is not fair. If you're going to accept the negativity, you have to accept the positivity. If you're going to separate out the positivity, which is something that I have to do. Um, because otherwise, like I, I feel like I, I, I get very uncomfortable with that kind of attention and like everything being about me and being all Lonnie, you know? Um, but so if, okay. If, yeah. if your work is its separate entity and she gets all the credit for the good, yes, then you need a gremlin. Right. <laughs> they're I like, you're going to have to create a gremlin. But like when somebody comes to me and they're like, well, this sucks. And I'd be like, yeah, it's that bitch's fault. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, that Bob, like he just, right. he just sucks. Like you need, you need one and you need to name it. Like you need to name it. It needs to be a thing. Right. Well, I mean, like, another <laughs> thing too, like there's this sense of, and, and we got to these a lot in the fears. I didn't really address this very much, but there's also a lot of the fears that are about what other people are going to think. Yeah. You know, what, like the opinions of other people are so incredibly valuable, you know? Um, and, uh, and the thing is, is that you, you, the opinions of other people can be valuable when applied to the work, when you're focused on the work, when you're in the creativity, but when you're past the zone, you're past the, what's your favorite part. And the, the video of Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert that we have actually yes. speaks really beautifully to this. They talk mm-hmm. about what's your favorite part. They don't credit me. <laughs> and they talk about it in a slightly different way as though it was an idea they came up with independently like right um I mean, come on you know it's all about me right <laughs> um but they, they came up with that and they had that that sort of you know response to it that um that you know at a certain point in the creativity you tell the people who will give you what's your favorite part who will tell you all the positive things who will build you up and then once it's done and you've got your distance from it then you can get opinions that that are, um, you know, that are a, a little more more constructively critical, right? right. Um, but one of the things they were talking about is that she was saying that when people are brutally honest, when they pride themselves on brutal honesty, you avoid them like the plague. Because right. the thing is, is that usually people who are you know, who really pride themselves on being brutally honest are more happy with the brutality than with the honesty. Um, And the fact that they have an opinion does not mean that they are right. And this is something that I try to express to people because a lot of times, like I, you know, I've been teaching writing for years and years and years, and I've been talking about story for years and years and years. And I give my opinion and I talk about it. And then suddenly, like, I'm the authority and I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And that's not true and i'm actually addressing this this week on sex and whiskey so people can <laughs> can go on september 17th oh by the time this comes out it'll already be out so it'll be this week's sex and whiskey um where I talk about the fact that, like, I had an opinion, I had a strong opinion um, about the character of Frank and Outlander, and a lot of people had, you know, strong responses to that, and and there was some defensiveness that happens when people disagree on opinions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is that part of my opinion is defensible through narrative theory, and I have a whole workup on that, and that's going to be separate. But um, but part of it is just that I don't like it. Right. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that I don't like it just because I'm a story expert and all this kind of stuff. And I've been, you know, studying this and, and blah, blah, blah. That's where the narrative theory comes in. That's where the objective like theory stuff I can absolutely have solid ground to stand on. But just because I don't like it and you do doesn't mean you're wrong. It means that there's something in this that speaks to you in a very particular way that doesn't speak to me in that particular way. I don't enjoy it. But there are things that are going to speak to different people. There are different um, things, uh, parts of creativity that speak to different people. If you do something that speaks to everybody equally, then it's probably not of a lot of value. Um, people need different things in their creativity. You go to fiction for healing and for understanding. Sorry, am I, am I rambling? No, I, I just, when you said that, I had this flash of <laughs> some people juggle geese. Like, I just jumped to, jump to Firefly and, you know, Captain Wash. <laughs> Some people juggle geese. Like, Some people that do. was immediately, and no, I thought, that is perfect. I wonder if the people that, that like Frank perfect. Randall are the geese jugglers. Are the geese jugglers. The- <laughs> you know if I don't juggle geese, I don't if juggle I'm not going to respond to it. But if you do, like, if there's something in a story that you respond to and everybody else hates it, 
screw them. It doesn't matter. You respond to it. If you love something, I mean, this is all what Chipper's is about. Love what you love. This is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you love something, you love it for a reason. You love it because it does something for you. And the Frank stuff in Outlander, for some people, it speaks to them. And that's great. Doesn't speak to me. I don't think it's valuable. And I don't, and it's definitely not his story. That's a long, that's a whole long narrative thing. I will go in there elsewhere. I'll talk about that elsewhere because otherwise it'll take me. I will go on seriously for half an hour about how it is not Frank's freaking story. And I, and I, I, I stand by that. But, um, but I mean, you know, the things that you create are going to speak to very specific people and other people they won't speak to. So if somebody is brutally honest with their opinions, which was the whole point I was getting to like 20 minutes ago, um, and somebody is brutally honest with their opinions, it's just their opinions. It's just what they see. And if they don't understand how story works on a certain level or how art works or, you know, what it is that you're doing, there may be people who just don't get what you're doing and that's okay. So, so the idea that the only way that you can be, you know, really honest and tough as a creative person is to take all that horrible, vicious feedback and like, you know, make it part of yourself, integrate it into yourself. I don't think that that's valuable. I really don't. I think that getting somebody who, who knows the technicals of whatever it is that you're doing, getting somebody who understands the kind of art that you're, you're making, who understands cubism, if that's what you're doing, you know, um, get somebody who understands the technicals and get like the technical thing, you know, get me to, to do a critique on your book. I could tell you what the technical problems are, you know, and that's my value. But like, as far as what it is in the story, what it is in the painting, what it is in your, you know, gumbo that, that speaks to you and that makes it work for you. Those are things of value. And I think that we we undervalue that too much it 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 erodes your fingerprint on your creativity when you take everybody else's opinion into consideration and and give it a higher value than your opinion and your feeling on that piece of creativity and why you made it you're gonna have to edit some of this stuff out I'm just rambling oh no you're good (laughs) but I think one of the the big things that I got from the video of, of the two of them talking was Liz Gilbert just you know amazing best-selling author smashing Mm -hmm. success you know was portrayed on screen by julia roberts i mean come on (laughs) to hear her say when i am in this early stage of a new piece of work i want i want the kind of nurture and care that you would give a five-year-old who brought you a finger painting yes and like she had no shame at all of saying I want to be told that this is wonderful and I that I'm pretty. I want somebody to say I'm like, pretty. <laughs> and I thought, holy shit, like asking for that level of nurturing to, to take this work at the very beginning and say, please tell me that this is pretty. Yeah. You know, or that's so what's your favorite part? It's like, so valuable. It it was amazing to me mm-hmm. to hear her embrace that so completely. Um, and then as the strength of the work builds, then you can start sharing it out and out and out. Yes. But having that trusted circle of, and so then I started thinking about like, if you have kind of two kinds of, of readers in your life, right? Or two kinds of critics, mm-hmm. which one would you send your five-year-old to with a finger painting? Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. I have had the brutally honest friends. And, and I think that maybe for that kind of person, they feed on the destruction of creativity. Like, it's their job to take it down. It's their job to take it apart. And I don't particularly want any more of that in my life. I think I've had enough. 
And right. and maybe it is okay to say, I want someone who's going to pet me on the head and say, oh, baby, this is so good. All like, right. And that's okay. But, <laughs> but it was so just... that that's honest, though. Like, you gave me the first couple of pages of your thing that you were writing, which, by the way, was freaking brilliant. And I told you all of my favorite parts, you know? I know. And it was but like just taking because... a bubble bath in rainbows. I know. Oh, I love it. <laughs> But just because, like, I mean, this is the thing, like, we, we discount the positive opinions as though they don't have any, again, like it's this, right? I will take the negativity into my soul, but the positive mm-hmm. opinion that goes elsewhere, right? Um, and that's unbalanced. The, the positive opinion that I gave you was not me being nurturing or me being kind or me lying to you. I told you the absolute, I was brutally honest with you. It was just <laughs> brutally positive. You know, um, because first of all, what you gave me was such a small snippet that there's no, there's no criticism. There's no criticism to be had, you know, um, because you have to have the whole thing in order to be able to look at it as a whole, understand what it is in its entirety, and then help the, the places that have weaknesses or that need to be built up. Um, and that's the role of criticism is to build it up, not to tear it down. Um, yeah. But like, I just don't want you to think, and I'm sorry I interrupted you because I've been, I know no, I'm like dominating and I, this and whole I conversation. I didn't think that at all. Like, it didn't But I don't discount. want you to think for a minute that it wasn't completely honest. I no, was completely I honest with how much I loved it. And I love that. And it made okay. me feel wonderful. But it was, it was, I think there was something about hearing Elizabeth Gilbert say, yeah, this is what I ask for. That sort of gave me permission to say, well, then damn it, I want the, I'll have what she's having. Like, I'll have what she's on. having. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, yes. And, and, and just, she does that so unabashedly. And, and so. That's what I love about her. Yeah. I love that about her. Me is too. that she is so willing to be herself and not apologize for it. Mm-hmm. And not be like, you know, this makes me weak or this makes me bad. She doesn't do this shit that I do. You know, like everything I say before I say it, I have to say some self-deprecatory thing. Like I have to put myself <laughs> down before I say anything, before I express anything. And like Liz Gilbert is where I want to be. Yeah, Liz Gilbert is the kind of person I want. I want to treat myself with the kindness and respect that Liz Gilbert treats herself because, you know, she treats herself that way. She treats the people in her life that way. You know, like if you can treat the people in your life with kindness and love and respect, do that for yourself. And -hmm. like that is honestly the brick wall I crash up against constantly. I cannot do it. Like I honestly, I cannot do it. I, I, no matter what it is I'm talking about, no matter what it is I'm doing, I find a way to, to slam myself in the process and it's hateful and it's wrong, you know, but I just, for some reason, I just can't stop myself. Um, and, uh, and so watching Liz Gilbert videos of her not apologizing for who she is, mm-hmm. you know, saying, this is something that I've realized. And of course she doesn't criticize other people either. Like no, I don't she see doesn't. her criticizing other people. I, she I doesn't I've criticize. I've never seen that. And, yeah. and it's really interesting too, because this book is, I mean, people could say it's a little new agey or it's a Mm -hmm. little woo woo or it's a little out there or whatever. And not one time does she stop and apologize for that or say, you know, or like, there's nothing. She's just like, here is my truth. And this is what's beautiful about it. And now I'm going to share it with you. And she does this 
and and an unapologetic not to be arrogant it's just this absolute transparent here's the inside of me and and you can come look at it and I don't know how you get to that state of of zen <laughs> but <laughs> I I just admire that in her so much and and reading the book with no apology with no yeah. preamble with just here is my truth and now I'm going to share it with you I thought it was it was remarkable Oh, I love that. I mean, remember Brene Brown at the beginning of Rising Strong? Yeah, She opened with her critics. Yeah. She you opened open with an entire chapter defending the research methodology. Defending yourself. Exactly. You know, yeah. and I mean, I appreciate that. And I think that oh, part of that is, is who Brene Brown is, that she thinks about things from so many different spaces, mm-hmm. you know, from so many different angles. And, and there is a value to that too. You know, I mean, yeah. I think that, the, but I think that I, I'm already like kind of on the Brene Brown. I'm like way worse than Brene Brown as far as like, self-criticism. <laughs> Brene Brown has a healthy amount of like self-awareness and criticism. I, I think mine is unhealthy. Um, but, but the thing that I like, I can see the criticisms of Elizabeth Gilbert. She does turn a lot of people off and like, I get it, you know, but yeah. she has a soft approach to life and to creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are so enamored with the hard approach. We are so enamored with being tough on ourselves that somehow the harder we are on ourselves, you know, the better we're going to be. And my question is, well, how's that working? Cause yeah. I don't think, I don't think <laughs> I all this hardness that I put on myself has made mm-hmm. me better. I think it's made me smaller. I think it's made me stop before I get started on some things. I think it's, it's made me afraid, you know, and I don't want to be that. Like I'm, I'm 46 years old, right? Um, very recently I have outlived my father. My father lived to be 46 and three months. I'm like 46 and three and a half months now, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking I've been hard. Like I've been so hard on myself my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, and nothing has ever been good enough and I've never been good enough. And at this point I want to just be be to just accept myself for what I am and see what wonderful hidden jewels I discover when I do that, you know, and I think that sometimes you need a soft approach, right? Like I'm talking about the fingerprint, like a fingerprint on a hard surface is just going to wipe away, but in soft clay, that'll last forever. Oh, I love that. Well, and one of the other takeaways from that video with Brene Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert, I actually got from Brene Brown who talked about you know, while facing your courage and rumbling and all that can also be toughening up that on the flip side of that, it's also about softening up. Yeah. And I thought, Oh dear, like I am, <laughs> I am so good. Like the badass, tough, no bullshit, Brene Brown and me, we yeah. are like, we are one. There you she go. She is right. my Jedi master. The force <laughs> is strong in this one. Like I am there, but it is a hard name. And and I have yeah. become hard. And so this idea of softening up and opening up and is really difficult. Like really like so It's uncomfortable. It it's is. vulnerable as fuck. Yeah. No, yeah. it really is. And it takes an incredible amount of courage and security to be able to present yourself to the world the way that Elizabeth Gilbert does. And and even if you don't necessarily see everything in the world the way that she sees it, you don't have to. Everybody has different perspectives. And again, that's what builds your fingerprint. So by all means, be what you are, you know. Right. Um, but I think that, like, I look at her in her softness, 
and her kindness, not just to others, but to herself, which is something that we see so rarely and something that I would like to find within myself. I can't emulate it because you're emulating, you're pretending to be something you're not. I want to find within myself some part of that softness and that kindness and apply it inward. Um, and that for me is a struggle. I can pretend to be like Elizabeth Gilbert. Absolutely. I can play that part, you know, I can, but can I, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> no, I no, can no. fake that. I can fake it. You know, I can pretend, but like, I don't want to pretend anymore in my life. I want to find that part of me because everybody, you know, what is it? Walt Whitman, I contain multitudes, you yes. know, everybody does. Right. And right. so within my multitudes, I want to find that softness and that kindness, you know, yeah, um, and I don't know. I don't know if I can do it, but I'd like to try. And I, I really am enjoying spending this time with Elizabeth Gilbert and all of her woo woo, you know, yeah. um, because it's it's incredibly valuable to me right now. Well, I agree. I want to be soft like red George Clay. That's right. Baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> without the slimy, squishy mosquitoes. Um, <laughs> so. What was your big idea from the reading? Like this, this was a short number of pages and I feel like we could go, we could just do this for a long time. I mean, there is a lot in this book, Mm -hmm. but what was your big aha? What was your big idea? Um, You know, on page 11, she was talking about her friend who rediscovered the figure skating Mm -hmm. and she said she finally had the perspective to appreciate the value of her own joy. And that got me God, thinking so much about joy, like what is, what is joy, Mm -hmm. you know, and how, how do you chase it? Um, And, and the thing is like joy specifically in response to creativity. And this is a question that I've been asking some of my creative friends over the last couple of days. And I would really love to hear what the big strong yes audience thinks about this, but I feel like, and and I'm still really soft on this concept, so I'm not really sure how I feel about it, but that there is a connection between joy and creativity, that even when you're creating something sad, and I mean, a lot of my novels have very emotional parts in them. I wept during pretty much almost every one. I mean, wept like a child. Like, I mean, I, I did a writing weekend with a friend of mine as I was finishing up one of my novels and I wept the whole weekend and she was seriously worried about me. She's bringing (laughs) me water and making sure I wasn't dehydrated. Like it's that kind of thing. But even, (laughs) but even when I'm writing the sad stuff, even when I'm, I'm creating in that space, um, it is, it is a joyful experience for me. It is a complete experience for me. When I am creating on that level, I'm not doing anything else. It is this one thing and I'm in that flow, you know, where you lose time, you look up and it's like hours have gone by, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like that experience for me, even when I'm creating the sad things. And, and I'm, I'm curious about the relationship between joy and creativity. Is joy always kind of the progenitor of creativity is, is creativity always a pursuit of joy. And for me, even when I'm doing the sad things, the answer I think is yes. And I'm curious if that answer is the same for other people, if there is this, this relationship between joy and also expanding what joy is like, maybe what I'm talking about isn't, isn't joy the way that we traditionally think of joy, because joy is like this ultimate expression of happiness, right? But for me, joy is that is that sense of of commun- communion with my myself, 
with my creativity, this sense of, of unity within myself, that it is the, the brief moments where I am whole and unfractured in this pursuit of creativity. And I wonder if that's the experience for other people. So I'm kind of curious about that. Do you have any thoughts about that? Does that make any sense at all? It makes a ton of sense. Um, but this was actually in my strong challenge section. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yes. Well, I had two things in there. Um, and I'll just go ahead and jump to the second one here. Okay. Because I, I put some stuff about fear, of course. And then I wrote mm -hmm. also joy. <laughs> sort <Yeah>. of. <laughs> so I want to find joy. But listening to you kind of led me to this startling realization that I'm not really sure what brings me joy or like mm -hmm. if I'm being really honest, really and truly what joy feels like. Right. And the word itself is also kind of blocking me because it has religious connotations. Oh, sure. Um, that are not true for me. And like, if you Google, what is joy? You're pretty much only going to get answers from Jesus. And oh, so gosh. it was like, I think to Google. Oh it. yeah. I researched it, girl. I tried to look it up. <laughs> of course I was like, you I did. Need, I need I like you. I need some footnotes for this. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, there is some interesting discussion around the difference between joy and happiness, but I like really, how do you find it if you don't know what it feels like or what it looks like and how is joy different from happiness? And the closest thing that I can get is um, like deep laughter. Like when yeah. you're so in, you know, just that laughing that doesn't stop or that, you know, that conversation with friends where it's just one joke after another or something mm -hmm. like that might be the closest to what it physically feels like, but that doesn't seem right either because I can accomplish that with like a bottle of wine and a, you know, DVD. So right. I don't think that that's quite the same thing. Right. Um, so I feel like I don't even know. I honestly don't know what joy feels like. Not really. Yeah. No, I was actually having this conversation and trying to, to suss it out because I think that like that for me, there's this there's this joy that, that this sense of wholeness, the sense of completeness of being completely in the moment and being happy in that moment mm -hmm. um, that for me is associated with with creativity um, and and then there's the joy that is, you know, this idea of like the ultimate in happiness, you know, like what is it that makes me happy, you know? Um, and the only thing I could think of is there's this feeling that I get when I'm in the house, right? And the girls don't know where I am, right? You know, they're, they're not, they're not performing for me. They're not. And I hear them together laughing, you know, just when I hear my girls laughing together and they don't know that I'm listening, they don't know that I can hear them. It is just this genuine love that they have for each other. Um, that is when that is like a predictable feeling of joy for me. You know, like that is something that like every time that happens, I feel that thing, you know? And mm -hmm. so that for me is like the biggest sense of joy. And I mean, I've had joy like in other things. And I had that feeling um, when I was with number two, <laughs> when, we were together and good, you know? Yeah. That was joy. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know if there's a difference between like that feeling and, um, and this kind of joy of creativity that I'm talking about the, mm -hmm. the, the pursuit of that joy. But it, to me, it is, it is that feeling of wholeness, you know, that just in that moment, 
everything is okay because your your children are happy or because you're with that person yeah or because you're doing that work you know and um and so for me i think that's what it comes down to it comes down to that sense of wholeness you know as opposed to what makes me happy because what makes me happy in any given moment i mean goodness just send me into the apple store with an unlimited budget and i will be <laughs> happy right you know yeah. but like joy that feeling of joy has happened to me in those circumstances in those three circumstances of which i have two left right okay. and um so i don't know like trying to find that joy and trying to get that back you know after all these months of of grief you know, for the joy that I've lost is, um, God, it's really hard. Yeah. Well, and, and that joy doesn't exist without sorrow either. I mean, if we're integrating Marvel mm -hmm. and mundane and we're integrating, right. you know, that this is true as well. And it may be, I don't know for me, like I, I'm really going to have to think about it. Where did the joy go? Um, and it, it's kind of more of a question of, was it ever there? Can you and remember back to your childhood? Did you have joy in I your childhood? I think that was a whole lot of joy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think that's the word that I okay. would, that I would use. Okay, when you were reading, remember the story like, about you were reading Little Women? Yes. And at the end of it, you cried. Oh, God, Because yeah. you wouldn't experience that again. Was that joy? The reading of it was, yes. There you go. And, or I can think of, like, when we would go to the beach sometimes, um, everybody else would kind of when it was nighttime you know get ready to go to bed and i would sneak down to the beach <laughs> because <laughs> like being in front of the ocean at night oh was yeah just this magical kind of experience and and to be there you know and and to breathe in the salt and like you can feel the waves as if they're part of your pulse and just kind of that moment um or dancing on the shoreline or just like that feels like joy um maybe yeah, but it's been a long damn time. <laughs> so but maybe I'm not that's sure. a starting place for you. Yeah, it's just to remember, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Need to, to remember what this. that was like. Well, yeah, I, I think that that may be that may be interesting to do, mm -hmm. um, and and or just to give it some some attention, maybe, because like back to the big aha, the big idea yeah. for this. Mm -hmm. um, she wrote on page 12, living in this manner, continually and stubbornly bringing forth the jewels that are hidden within you is a fine art in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And creative living is where big magic will always abide. I mean, first of all, God, I love this woman. I know. <laughs> but I think like in all of my head to the desk, super focused, you know, mm -hmm. like go through this career building, learning, research, creating thing. That I became a social scientist who mm. really wanted to study fine art. Yeah. You know, and so hearing her word it like that, I'm like, but those are the classes that I never took because they mm -hmm. weren't on my path or they weren't part of this degree. And like, that's the area that I've wanted to study that I haven't studied. And so I mm -hmm. think it may just be giving it the attention that it deserves. Like, maybe that's not flourishing in my life because I'm not paying it enough attention. Because it doesn't have an outcome. Yeah. Because you're focused on the outcome as opposed to the experience. Yeah. If I can't put it on my CV, it doesn't get done. 
I mean, mean, you're a single mom. Like, let's let's not joke around here. Like, you know, we have serious things that we have to do. We have we have to be serious people. And that means that there isn't that much time. You know, I mean, you know, we're both working. I've got two jobs. You're doing chipperish with me. So you've got other stuff, you know, I mean, we're busy, you know, and um, and it's hard to find the time to nurture that. But I think that if you. And I think that's what, you know, when I get to my homework this week, I think that's what my homework is going to be for me. And maybe you'll want to do it too, is, is look at the things that would give you joy if only you gave them time and focus and energy and think about the Pomodoro. Like, Mm -hmm. where can I give 20 minutes to learning about fine arts? You know, where can I give 20 minutes to something that gives me joy, you know, and if I can find those 20 minutes in a day and I know that I can, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been watching TV at night. Like I could take 20 of those minutes, you know, and uh, 20 minutes before I go to bed and, and get a book on something that fascinates me and just spend time in that space and find, find that time within my day to, to give myself something that has no outcome that has only joy, you know, no creation even. So only a joy, joy list a joy list I so like i think it. that's going to be i know i'm skipping ahead no i think we're going out to the homework because we are just freaking rebels and this is all creativity i know and, it's creative yeah. it's soft it's <laughs> woo-woo. we can do whatever we want we don't need structure we don't need structure we're going to be on a road trip with fear and french kiss and creativity in the back that's seat right. that's just how it's going to be but <laughs> <laughs> i think for for my homework um for my big yes i wrote uh dot 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 (laughs) i just want to read the chapter again and listen to the audio again because i'm doing the paperback and the audiobook Mm -hmm. um and drink it up like ambrosia because i Mm -hmm. love every word like this is nectar it's inspiration it's a balm for my soul good but i have no idea how to turn it into an action like i got no homework (laughs) so i'm just gonna copy you and make a joy list that's no a joy list may not be a bad place to start just because it's something that you think you think joy would be easy you know because it's so happy and light and bright and why isn't joy easy joy is the hardest thing you know and i think that that pursuing joy and giving yourself time and permission to pursue something that has no outcome, you know, that is just about, I'm going to enjoy this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we do that when we're kids. And I think that sometimes you may have to think back to what gave you joy when you were a kid and just follow that line as far as it will take you until you can pick it up again, you know? Yeah. Um, and that may be the only way to start. Well, I think the joy list is going to be a great homework assignment. I think so, too. I think it sounds pretty good. (laughs) All right. So we've got our um, our aha moment. We've got our homework. Uh, What did you resist? What was your strong challenge? Ah, so, um, well, we talked a little bit about joy already. Right. (laughs) I'm just going to leave it there. But I wrote um, fear. So, yeah, intellectually, I'm on board with everything she said and Deep down, I mean, I don't want to be humiliated or disappointed, but when I think of creative living, I don't feel afraid. I feel mm-hmm. stuck and tired and, and kind of numb. Mm-hmm. And Gilbert said that a loss of courage causes a loss of creativity. And I wondered, can heartbreak do the same thing? Because I think that's what I'm scared of. Like, I feel like I can summon deep courage. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I can summon deep creativity. 
Like it takes more energy than I have. And it's like creativity was this big bright fire in me, but it died from neglect. And now there's just not enough oxygen to resurrect embers back to flames. And I don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm still kind of in the, like, I don't want to resist it. I just honestly, if she showed up at my house right now and she's like, hi, Kelly, let's go do something creative. I'd be like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm so glad you're here, but I got nothing. Like that's (laughs) So it's not fear for you so much as it is there's just been so much pain and heartbreak that that you feel like it's it's been shut down. Is that? I think it's more disconnection than fear. Disconnection. Okay. I think. But I'm not sure. Well, here's the thing. I'm sitting on the sideline going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And I know this. I do know this. Your creativity is so in love with you. Your creativity has got it bad for you. So <laughs> at first, it is difficult because creativity gets, you know, excited by shiny things. It's going to wander off, right? But right. if you sit down at the same time every day for 20 minutes, you know, again, Pomodoro, right? <laughs> you know, the mm-hmm. Pomodoro thing. Set a timer for 20 minutes and give that to your creativity. And even if you just sit there, even if you do nothing but just sit there, do it the same time every day, and your creativity is going to be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, she wants me. And it's going to come running for you. It really, really is. It really, <laughs> okay. really is. I swear to God, there's very few things in the world that I know for sure, but this I know. Your creativity is in love with you. All right. So, so I got to give yeah. 20 minutes for romancing my creativity. Romance and- your creativity. Wonder <laughs> and awe, baby. Wonder yeah. and awe. And write a joy list. And write a joy list. Yeah. All right, I think that sounds pretty good. Right? I am going to write a joy list. I'm going to try. I feel like I've, um, I feel like I've lost connection with, uh, with my joy, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, even in the, in the writing, although I I honestly haven't done much. Um, but I did do a little bit. I I worked with the book a little bit for an episode of How Story Works. Good. And on that day, it was, it was really good. As a beta reader. I need to know how this one ends. Oh, it's God. a freaking fabulous book. Oh, thank you. And I want to know what happens. So if nothing oh. else, just finish it for me. I'll tell you because... what, you know, maybe I can Pomodoro it. Maybe I can. Because <laughs> yeah. the thing is, like, the time and the energy. I used to, the way I used to write was I would lock myself in a room for five hours and just do nothing but write during that time. And right. I don't have that anymore. And so maybe the 20 minutes a day thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, so. maybe that's maybe I just got to do it that way because it's the only way to get it done. So we'll we'll see. We'll okay. see. Awesome. <laughs> so I think we have, even though we've gone out of order, I think we've covered everything. <laughs> I think we got it. <laughs> and every week we end on a quote. And this week, because we've been talking about awe and wonder and just that kind of magic, our quote comes from E.B. White, who said, always be on the lookout for the presence of wonder. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.